There are many paths to to uh, success, to prosperity in running a design firm and, and running a business. And my guests this week have, have taken many of those paths, be it writing books, teaching at a university, offering online courses, even building and developing their own projects. This week, I'm happy to speak with Alex Gore and Lance Psycho of F9 Productions. Stay tuned. Giving architects and landscape architects the tools and strategies to be seen, heard, and valued in the marketplace, and telling the stories of leaders building thriving design firms and attracting their ideal clients, this is From Architecture to Profitecture. I'm your host, Jake Krakowski. Let's get started. Fellow and future Profitex, hello. How are you? Welcome to this week's show. We are talking about the notions of autonomy and opportunity. They're pretty powerful words, especially in terms of you know, running, owning, succeeding with your own design firm. And this week's guests have had many, many opportunities come their way. Rather, they have created many opportunities by being involved in different aspects of, yes, capitalism <laughs> and in um, publicity and publication. And I'm very happy to, to welcome them in this week. Lance and Alex, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having us. What a cool intro. We're, oh, we're very excited to be here. Absolutely. That was a phenomenal intro. And, th and thank you, Jake, for getting my name uh, pronounced correctly at the end there. That's... I was looking forward to you messing it up. I was, I I was kind of doing that. It's a great icebreaker, Keiko, you know? No, it's but psycho. That's what, I, that's what I told myself first until I started, you know, listening to past interviews of yours and quickly uh, avoided that mistake. So awesome. absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, I really appreciate you, really appreciate you bringing here. Um, there are a lot of just as there are a lot of different avenues that I've seen uh, you and, and F9 go. There's there's a lot of places I want to take today's conversation, but um, perhaps I'd like to briefly start at the beginning during the, the Great Recession when uh, when F9 came to be and thought it'd be important to, to talk about maybe some of the lessons that you learned either in just starting the firm or working through coming out of a recession that may have informed you, you know, where you are today. Yeah, I'll give a brief overview and maybe I'll let plans go into details. But so the recession, I was working for a firm, Daniel Liebskin. This is an architecture podcast, so probably all of you know them. Uh, him. Lance was working for Studio HT, which won Young Architects of the Year way back in 2008 or something, 2006. And I just want to highlight the two lessons because I know Lance loves to talk. And the two lessons that I learned, because a lot of people start off, almost everyone starts off in a firm. That's how you get your hours. That's how you do everything. And when Lance and I started the firm, there was two major things that just switched in our brains. One was, okay, we are quote unquote, the bosses now. So we don't have to do the way things, the way things were set up. So we could rethink the way we set up our template, the way we set up our practice and all that. And we changed our mindset to how do we best mimic reality? How do we best mm -hmm. mimic construction in everything we do? Change every little nuance towards that perspective. I have a, a previous podcast on that, that structure actually creates freedom. There's, mm -hmm. yeah. it took me, a, it took me a number of years to wrap my head around that wanting to be the free spirit. And maybe it's my astrology too, but 
you know, not, not want to be tied down by anything. I, I, I'm a sole practitioner. I went out on my own because I want, you know, the ultimate level of freedom. Well, if you don't have any processes in place, it's, uh, it, your profitability very quickly goes, goes south. You might be familiar with one of my favorite guys, uh, Jocko Willink. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL. Discipline equals freedom. Structure equals freedom. And that's with him, that's in all caps. Yeah. So, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all caps, double fold, underlined. Yes. Yeah. He, uh, he scares me. I couldn't read the book. Alex wanted me to read the book. I'm like, it's scary to me. Well, that was David Goggins. So, if you know, Right. Yeah, the, he's, yeah. he's another intense uh, creature. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm like, I'm intense enough. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not running on broken feet here. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> As he did. The second thing was like, okay, again, quote unquote, the boss is like, no one else is telling us what to do. Why can't we share this? And if you know Mark's love, learn, share, you know, it first came from the sharing, hey, we wanted great employees because we wanted to do well. So how do we share with the university? And we can talk about that backstory. But then since it's our content and everything that we're putting together and you know, we paid some college friends that were laid off at the time too, to help develop it. There was nothing stopping us from either making that air or that good move. Mm -hmm. Because if you're at a firm and it's five people or 500, you just don't get to take their template and their processes and their models and everything and say, Hey, we're just going to sell this to your competition. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to share this. But since it was us, we, we could do that. What, what I would add to that is diversity. Uh, so the biggest thing I think we, the lessons we took from our former firms, great firms, you know, we, we really want to stress that, that like, these are world-class architects we used to work for. Um, but I'm not sure they were world-class businessmen in the sense or, or women in the sense that it was just a monoculture of, projects, right? So for instance, the firm I worked for before we getting laid off, it, they were dealing with houses for the 1% of the 1%. I mean, very upper echelon people that can only afford houses in Boulder, Aspen, San Francisco, places like that, very elite kind of clients. And then on the opposite side, Alex was, you know, they were just doing master plans for cities. The 1%, the 1% of the 1%. Yeah. And so what we, what we recognize is that there's a there's a large sector of society that is not um, that that can't afford architecture services because architects are just putting it out of reach. As a matter of fact, I just had somebody in my office this morning and I gave them that exact little speech and I said, we we try to provide we try to make it architecture available for the other ninety eight percent of people out there. And we but we could not have done that and gone after the multitude of different projects all the way from down from a little tiny kitchen remodel, which we still do all the way up to a multi-million dollar, 40 unit, 40 unit, you know, above $10 million mark, uh, you know, commercial mixed use project. Uh, we could not have done that unless we, once we built that foundation that Alex already talked about with our templates and getting everybody on the same page and honing that in so that we, we, we had the ability to provide affordable services, but still be profitable because we're getting it right from the from the from the beginning. So we've got this. We have the structures in place so that you can pick and choose kitchen remodels if you want to, or um, or other projects. How did the how did the thought process evolve with you to to start incorporating the the development and the construction side into into the practice? Lance and I both have construction backgrounds. Lance has one a little bit more than myself, and this actually aligns with. What we'll probably talk about later, but the 
the course that we're launching. And to us, it's crazy how much work architects put into a process, to, to a project, how much responsibility they take on and seeing that the reward mainly goes to someone else. Didn't make sense. It was, you're doing all this. You still have almost the same liability, mm-hmm. same risk, all that stuff, but the reward is going somewhere else. And we have a saying that our firm is more responsibility equals more reward. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think I remember the start of the question. <laughs> I, think I, 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 I do. Answer. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's where we're at now. I think we, we've, we've proven it. You, you take on more responsibility, the more reward you get financial, and then, you know, in a bunch of different ways, obviously. Uh, but we, one of our first design build projects was a tiny house. And we built that, um, we took out actually a little a small business loan for it. Um, it was kind of on the fly sort of thing. Uh, how it started was, every, we were still barely getting any um, design work during the Great Recession when Alex and I started, a, started the business. And one of our other friends was gainfully employed because he had a lot of state work up in South Dakota, but uh, he hated his job. And so Alex and I are kind of sort of on the whim people. I mean, we just kind of, once we, once we know that it's a good idea to do something, we run right at it. And so our friend brought up tiny houses and we said, Oh man, you should build one. What's stopping you? How much money do you have? And he's like, I don't know, like 25,000 or something like that. That's plenty. Let's just, you should move, come down to Colorado. We'll, we'll design it. We'll build it. He didn't believe us, so we went home because um, we were out celebrating after we got one of our very first commissions, a uh, little duplex, and we bought the domain name. It was called, at that time, blakestinyhouse.com, and this was this was about 10 years ago when the tiny house uh, movement really started to take off, and it was because of the Great Recession, right? Another Great Recession lesson here because people were starting to downsize. They decided they didn't need McMansions anymore, right. all the financial turmoil with, with the housing market. And we emailed him the next day and said, we guess you're doing it. Well, he never did it, but we did work with him and another colleague from college. And the the organic following we got because of that website was incredible. So jump ahead to a few, few years from there. It was such a cool design and it got picked up by so many publications. We were like, we, we just felt compelled to build the thing. And it was maybe our first opportunity to really act as architect, as builder slash developer and doing exactly what you want to do. I think that's always driven us too. is like this idea that you have so much more control if you have all three of those hats. Alex went down to uh, the builders. It was at a home and garden show in Denver. Oh yeah. That, so I just went to the home and garden show just because it was fun. And there was some tiny houses and it said, Hey, sign up. If you're building a tiny house, we're built having a TV show. So I signed up. Yeah. I'm building a tiny house. Obviously <laughs> lying. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, again, we weren't, there was no real commitment other than we have a website, we have this following, we have the plans. Yep. Sure, we're building it. We had schematic level plans. We didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But the the fact that you're getting publicity just from that level of. Yep. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. And they called me and said, we're filming a show. We want you to be on it. Can you build this in a month? And we're like, no, we got to finish the plans. It like, it, it transforms the tiny house. Then we'd have to get funding for it. Then we'd have to actually build it. So we said, give us two months. And they said, okay. <laughs> so we <laughs> we got the plans done, the funding, and then built it all in, in two months. Um, and it's been great. And I want to actually talk, your first question 
I thought was kind of important. You know, what are the lessons learned? You know, what did you transition, you know, when you became builders and uh, not builders, have your own firm. And one of the things that Leapskin said was, you know, do a fun project mm-hmm. once a year, once a year. And then Lance just said, I like the idea, do a project where you have control yeah. once a year, because then you can put your talents on display. And that's another thing that we knew in the back of our head is like, okay, we're going to do this. Hopefully the built thing will get even more publicity, but it should be fun. Obviously construction's hard, but if it doesn't meet that box, it's something that you want to do. Right. And I was talking to this other client and he was asking me how long this, the architecture process takes. And it was taking longer than he expected. I go, well, a lot of times the client wants input, you know, we send it to you, you take a a week or two back, you know, and it goes back and forth like that. And he's like, well, I'm not an architect. I don't do this for a living. Shouldn't your suggestions be better? And and, and we were on a good report. I go, oh, my suggestions will be better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes a client has particularities. And I didn't mention this. Sometimes there's really good clients that have a great eye. So I'm not knocking that. But oh, in for this, sure. In this instance, I'm like, yeah, a lot of times my suggestions are better. <laughs> so if you just trust me, we'll mm-hmm. just execute it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. That's why I'm paying you. <laughs> um, so that doesn't always happen. So if you can carve out that project where it's fun or you get to do it, I, I think it will resonate with a lot of other people. hundred percent, especially if it's timely, like I talked about with the, the rise in the popularity, like we just had, there was this organic groundswell and it really pushed us to do that. And then once we were on HGTV, and then we submitted to Architizer and we ended up winning the Architizer, the internet, an international architecture award, our very first one from Architizer for that. I mean, it really came full circle and was like, that was one of the best intuitive decisions I think we made early on. Mm-hmm. And since we had that kind of success and then it was publicized the way it was, a, a, a Fortune, Four, Fortune 500 company got a hold of us after seeing that first tiny house. They loved how out of the box it was. And they recognized also that, holy cow, only maybe somebody like Alex and Lance and their team of architects who also build these very intricate folding things that are highly engineered and very precise. We think they're the only people who could build us two more. And then, so we ended up doing that. We ended up doing that for them. Um, at first, we weren't going to take on the project uh, because it was it's 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 really hard to build. I mean, it's just, you're taking raw materials and you're making something out of nothing. And especially if you're creating something brand new, like these tiny houses that we did, I, I had a little bit of pain from that. And then Alex was like, well, what if we told them this fee? And I said, sure, if they go for that. And then they did. And it was profitable enough for us with those second, that second design build project for that company that we had enough money in profitability that we just said we targeted a third of an acre up here in, in Longmont where our headquarter is. And that's where we, we financed a piece of land and we're, you know, on the track to become full scale architect as builder slash developer. I'm surprised HGTV didn't want to document the build itself. It sounded like they were hands off or did I miss a step? Oh, wait, wait, of the tiny house? Right. They did. So they oh, came. They did. Okay. Did. Yep. And it was a, it was a whole episode. Um, and it was fun. We got made fun of because Lance decided that he wanted us to dress up to look good on TV. Yeah. So they're like, I was like, they're going to have, clearly there's going to be a spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, get a, we'll get a whole season now. Yep. 
they, they love the the male duos, you know, with what is it, the the, the property brothers. brothers. Yeah. That was very hot at that time. I think 2013 is when it when it aired and everything. <laughs> but, but I was like, sure. I was like, whatever you want, Lance. And then like I think they contacted us a couple of years later, you know, just hey, yeah. we're here's some other stuff. And we were just chatting with them, like, you know, you guys are the only two that dressed up for the work job <laughs> website. Yeah. I just pointed it. That was him. Yep. I blame my wife. Did she tell you? <laughs> yeah, it was actually my wife's idea. Oh. She's like, I watch the property brothers all the time. They all they're always so good looking and dressed up. And I'm like, all right, well, yeah, we want we want a spin-off, clearly. Right. Yeah. We don't know. I didn't think maybe they don't do the actual work where we do the actual work. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't be. watched the show. Yeah. It's top and tails then, huh? All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the show. We should do a builder show. Yeah. Top and tail. I like it. All right. So obviously a lot of lessons learned through that process. And and Alex, I did want to one thing that, that showed up in my mind um, when you said that often there's this, this disconnect of credit given um, mm. for those that do the bulk of the, of the design and, and documentation work versus the, the finished product. Um, did, just as a, an aside, did you work at all on the World Trade Center project when you were with Liebeskind? No, I was after that. So I was working on shaping uh, islands in Dubai and redoing <laughs> a whole big train yard in Seoul, Korea. So just gotcha. when Lance was saying, like, just giant percent, yeah, stuff. You know? Gotcha, gotcha. Well, wh- wh- where I'm going with with that question is, th- you know, the other disconnect uh, aside from credit is um, when I was with uh, AECOM, I did <clears throat> about 18 months of um, just pure site construction management for. All, the West Side Highway, Chamber Street to the Battery, bordering the World Trade Site, which is why I asked that question. Um, and at some point towards the end, I, I brought about 20, 25 landscape architects out to the site. And most of them had master's degree. Most of them had double digits years of experience. They had never worn a, a construction hat. They had never stepped on a job site before. And I was yeah. like, my jaw dropped. Like, you've been working for 10 years and you never set foot on the site. So I think that that knowledge, that knowing of how things actually go together is is often even more valuable than than having your name accredited somewhere. But Right. And then um, I kind of want to expand on that because I think that point is so important. I remember in college, one of our classes, I don't know what it was called, but it was detailing with Martins. Sure. Um, and he would draw amazing wall sections. And I swear the whole class was a different wall section after a different wall section, after a different wall section. way to, you know, waterproof and all that. And they were great. It, it probably, most of it, for most of the people, unless you had construction experience, went in one ear and out the other. It was just like, you're just drawing lines on a paper. And, you know, when you cut through windows and you always see, like, this beam holding it up and it's like, well, wait, is this thing just floating in air? Like, just really, like, simple, stupid things, right? Yeah. So then you get on a job site. And here's the difference. So now we have construction people working for us. And I, I, I say this to, to some of them when it's appropriate. I go, all structural design is, and I have to speak contractor. I have to speak field mm-hmm. language. So structure is stacking on top of other. <laughs> and literally I'll have them come up months later and they, and they go, oh, it takes you a while to realize that epiphany. Mm-hmm. That it is literally stacking on other, you know. Yeah. And why I bring that back to the school and being out on the job site, if you you could look at, there's probably 
that typical wall floor foundation section where you have the foundation and how it interacts and everything, there's probably a hundred of them mm-hmm. with different variations mm-hmm. that if you they were laid out, you couldn't really tell much of the difference before. But after you go to the job site and watch them, you're like, oh, okay, why is it going like that? So under, put the flashing under the tide. Okay, I see how it works. You know, um, it just simplifies it. Just like where it takes that epiphany for structures is like, is this for stacking on anything or is it stacking on top of a window? Mm-hmm. That is not the correct way. You know, um, so being out in the field and being a builder, either one of those helps simplify your job um, way more than you could imagine. I believe it. And it just, it compounds over time. And then, and then you're able to, you know, to disseminate even that knowledge to, um, you know, to your staff so that they learn that much faster and it just kind of builds and builds. That's great. I want to take a little sidetrack under the money side of things. The state of of financing today. Have things changed radically in the last, you know, 12, 18 months with everything that's going on and, and how you're able to, or how either you or you know, your, your colleagues there in, in the Colorado area are, are assessing properties, financing properties, anything like that? The, the price of construction, the price of land, and in Colorado, the price of water on top of the price of the city tap tax and fees are so skyrocketing high that projects have canceled me like Nick Renard, who he has Nick reads on, on our episode. Um, he lives in Florida and he was sharing a spreadsheet and I go, Hey, your tap taxes and fees budget. Don't you need to add a zero to that number? <laughs> like add a zero to it. Like I want to make sure you're not messing up. Like, is this a placeholder? And he's like, oh, no, no, that's what it costs down here. And it's, it's, that's the major financial thing. Like a lot of people talk about wood going up. We talk about, you know, roofing going up too. But to have the, at least in, um, and Jake, I, I forgot where you're at, but in, in Colorado, to have this, the whole permit fees and the whole water fees go up so dramatically. And then at the same time, have city council out of the other side of their mouth say, yeah, we want affordable housing. We don't know how greedy developers can't make affordable housing. And it's, and it's like, you are 20% of the budget and you offer us nothing, (laughs) nothing at all. You just are in our way. Um, I I think that's a, that's a great macro view. The micro view view I would give is we are seeing a lot of uh, mother-in-law suites, a lot of ADUs, a lot of whole house remodels be financed. The silver lining is that real estate has increased in a, a crazy amount over the last 18 to 24 months. A lot of it is because the Fed is printing so much money. And if they're printing that much more money, then what are the hedges against future inflation and inflation of the currency? And I mean inflation in the, the two categories, right? Inflation of we have more dollars now, right? In circulation. And then the other one of well, eventually we're going to see inflation of prices and we're already seeing that with lumber, right? So we're seeing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of projects, people getting, you know, literally between a hundred and $200,000 of equity in the, in their houses over the last 24 months, that kind of an increase in Colorado. I'm not joking. It is incredible. And then, then, then doing a refi because mortgage rates are so low and pulling all that equity out and doing cash 
basically financing mm -hmm. everything, these little projects with cash. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, it's a balance, right? I mean, there is, there's all these negative things that Alex talked about, but there obviously is silver linings of everything. And that that's one of them that I'm seeing. Uh, unfortunately, though, the, the biggest one is lumber driving the cost of everything. Um, I just had a client uh, freak out over the weekend. Um, we are going to build their ADU and they go, well, this isn't the number you told us in June. And I go, here's a link to the NASDAQ chart. Yeah. And lumber, as you can see, has increased 250%. And when you can provide that kind of hard data, then it helps them step back. Um, but then that kind of speaks to, you know, the way we saved that project from dying. And I'm not sure a lot of builders would have the capability of doing what we can do because we're, we're wearing two hats. We just had a budget meeting with them and I had a bunch of architectural suggestions about how we can cut out, you know, a hundred K on this project. And we had the model up in real time. We were showing them what different roof slopes mean for different materials that could save them money, what it looks like to remove a couple walls and just have a carport instead of a garage uh, how much literally a slab costs per square foot to pour uh, and place. And to, to be able to just walk through that line item uh, Excel Excel budget budget spreadsheet that we had coupled with a model was was really something that at the end of the meeting, they go, oh, well, well, this is exactly what we were hoping for. We were hoping you would have some solutions um, very quickly that we could run through. And, and like I said, I, I, if, if, if it's if it's, Builder, you know, Bob, and then Lance and Al being architects, there's going to be a disconnect and that you're not going to have that kind of flexibility and, and then still be able to keep the aesthetics and the spirit of the architecture that you're trying to create for people intact, right? Because I'm sure everybody, a lot of people who are listening right now have heard and have experienced themselves of builders just coming in and butchering a project. And it's because they don't, they're not wearing two hats. And to answer your question from before, Alex, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. So it's, it's predominantly the question of lumber and labor here. Um, Greenville, South Carolina is um, the greater, I don't even call it a metro area. It's, it's only about a quarter million people, um, about halfway between Charlotte and Atlanta. So water tap fees are not a thing here, but. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's our. You huge. don't have to pay. No, no, we tens do, of but thousands, I mean, tens, tens of thousands of dollars for water. There's, there's easily uh, one or two zeros off that number. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. No, question. I, this is a total personal question. Have you been up to Tennessee? Uh, a couple times. Yes. What's your thoughts on Tennessee? Oh. Because I, I was talking to someone and they're like, yeah, I'm thinking about moving to Tennessee. And I've never heard anyone saying that. That's like saying, I'm thinking about moving to North Dakota, you know, like, <laughs> And then, but then I thought about it. I was like, well, it's probably not too hot and it's not too cold. Maybe Tennessee is a good area. So I mean, I, I, I do have some family up there. I've been in Nashville once for a, for a conference. Um, no, it can get it can get pretty hot and pretty cold. I think I don't I don't think you're oh. dodging any weather bullets there. But <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as b building in Tennessee, I, I I couldn't speak to that. But I'm going to assume yeah. it's it's more lax than than most. Even um, difference between here and Charlotte, an hour and a half, it's it's worlds apart. Um, mm. And then I'm in city limits of Greenville. You go out to the county, and it's it's not a free for all, but it's not far from it. So um, there's still there's still policies in place, but it's you know you you can get you can get over the counter permits. So oh yeah, we yeah. love that. <laughs> we rarely get that, but we love that.
Right. Yeah. Yeah. If we, we, we do some work in South Dakota. They'll say, oh, yeah, go ahead and build it. Tell us when you're done. Yep. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I, I do want to stay on the developer uh, track and, and certainly d dig into your, your new course, Architect to Builder. But um, as a backstory to that, you, you've actually been you know, involved in the, the online knowledge space, so to speak, for, for some time now. Um, developing products for uh, for Revit originally, how have you know what, what lessons have you had to learn in in transferring you know just or rather just transferring knowledge to a client now transferring knowledge to a web page and and lots of different customers and clients? Yeah, I think there's a couple. One is a lot of people, especially in this space, are visual learners. So having that came from teaching Revit you know, personally, but via video rather than a textbook. Like literally that was how it was done was you buy a textbook and you learn Revit. And, and, and maybe some universities are still like that. And it's a visual program or visual people. Please do not do that. The second thing I learned about the course was because this was, I mean, when we started it, Revit, um, Furniture Revit Rocket Ship, we, I mean, it was a while ago. It was at least eight, 10 years ago. Yep. And I was nervous about getting feedback. I was nervous because I thought it was a, a criticism, but now with this new one, like I encourage feedback because even if it is criticism, I can say why we're not doing it that way or, or whatever. But a lot of times it's something that I can help implement, answer question, do something like that. And the other huge, huge lesson that we started developing this course and then there was kind of a revelation to it back to our roots was okay. If we could make the firm back 10 years ago, the way that we wanted it to work structurally, and we could make our, our Revit template mimic how the construction process works. There's so many benefits to that. There's so many benefits to having a, um, a framing floor and then your finished floor, a framing wall and then your finished wall, not only for takeoffs, but just the sequence and then mimicking that sequence, knowing what it is construction, you're more confident in your answer, you're more confident in how it's built. Um, to, to now, even in that template, you know, we are having schedules that have you know, cost to it so that we can easily estimate costs. Um, and even the way we organize pages, like the way the foundation page comes first, rather structural engineers like to work from top to bottom. Well, you build from bottom to top, right? So everything is, is this mimicking. So in the architecture to builder course, not only, you know, we walk you through the sequences, but you know, there's, there's resources and templates too, that you need to, to be a builder. And one of the big ones, and this one kind of points it out the best is the cost estimate. And I, when, when I was making this, we obviously had our own. Then I reached out to other people, got other people's got banks and started looking at all this, making sure that I didn't miss anything. But then it just hit me, wait, 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 what's our core tenant? What core helps people? Why don't we mimic the way construction happens? So why don't we put it in the order that construction happens? And that even means a plumbing bid, they're going to have rough plumbing and final plumbing. We'll break it up in the order and then just have a little category that has, you know, your plumbing so that you can sort by plumbing so that when the plumbing bid comes up, you know, it doesn't take much to sort it by that way. But at least you're eliminating errors. At least you're mimicking construction. At least if you're new, you can know the process that you're going at. 
And it even like if you built for a while and you have to do draws, it's not a big deal that when you do draws, you do them from categories and the categories are all up and down the, the spreadsheet. But if you're concentrating most of them and then you're like eliminating them mm-hmm. and moving them to the next step, there's this book, Two Second Lean, Lance talked about in, in the pre-interview when we were just, not pre-interview, but what we were just talking about. He talks about two second improvements. Like, oh, that's it. Besides mimicking how it gets built, like that's just a benefit, another two little two second improvement that helps you organize and be clear on what you're doing. So that was a, a big lesson is everything we try to do is how to take these forms and ways of thinking that, you know, are out there, everyone's kind of see, or you could piece together and really refine it to, wait, wait, how does this mimic reality? How does this mimic construction? And that has benefited us so much that we hope it will benefit other people too. Yeah. And it really speaks to two things. I think Jake, though, going back to what you mentioned earlier about the landscape architects and their first time ever being on a job site, you could take this course. The idea with this course is that um, I, I'm not suggesting that you need, you have to have a certain level of construction experience to even get licensed, but your level of, you know, you, you gain a lot of that with construction administration, but you could, the way this is set up fundamentally, like Alex talked about is in sequence. So even from just looking at the cost estimate and how this, how the spreadsheet is laid out, you understand the general sequence of construction. And then maybe in your first couple of projects, you're going to lean on maybe hiring a third party consultant or just your, just some really good set of subcontractors that maybe have built your other projects just as an architect about, you know, you're going to interview them and talk to them about when you're, when you're getting and meeting them for their bids and stuff about the sequence that you're suggesting. And then once you get through it once, it's like riding a bicycle. The other, the second thing that it does is it's just like uh, everything that we do with rocket ship. And it's how Nick Renard, Nick uh, dig architecture is how we trained his firm. It's how we trained our firm. It's how we train um, all of the students we teach at CU Boulder, but everybody is on the same page. Everybody, somebody could take a one of somebody could take a model. Let's say somebody like was sick for two weeks or something. Somebody could take a model that somebody else was working on and they could pick it up and know exactly what to look for, how it's modeled. Everybody's on the same page. So the same thing goes with this, with this course is as some of our, some of our folks are doing more project management on the construction standpoint, if we're acting as general contractors, well, you always need a project manager. They can take our spreadsheet. They can take um, the, the sequence of, of components that we put in and understand and we're all on the same page about where we're at in the process. And so it's sort of this baton tossing that goes on back and forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got the structure of, of the course down and I had it on screen here. The actual pr- production of it, have you found or have you come to, to find that it's, it's as easy as jumping on, on a webcam as we are now? Or is it a lot more nuanced and, and highly produced? What, what can folks ex- expect? You can go either way. And the Revit one is, you know, more just capturing the screen and, and, and you know, the camera. But one of the construction workers that's now basically one of our form, foremen, his prior job was a producer TV show. So he has cameras, professional mics, the lights, and everything. So we, we said, Hey, you don't have to go out to the job site today. Come in, set up all your stuff and film us. So we, it's, we got a professional cameraman with the, you know, the mics that 
go up here and all this and that you accidentally mess up all the time. So the majority of the videos are that. There's a couple where it was just me because I wanted to share the screen and it was more about the screen. So I didn't want to call Bill off a job site to professionally film me when we're looking at the screen the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what you have to do, but th that's what what is in, in this course. Gotcha. Any any videos on site itself? Or is that something that you do just in the, in, in the course of your business anyhow? Film no, we're, we're thinking about posting more on site videos. Lance actually had this great idea that that same guy, like, let's get him a GoPro. <laughs> so that when he's there on and go. Yeah. yeah. And then have him edit it and, and, and put him up. Um, but it's more about this one, at least is the structure. Okay. You're already doing architecture. How do you transition that client? What's the best way to do? Then how do you set that new business up? Everything from, you know, getting your license, being a, a, a contractor, setting up the files, what do you need to do? And then how do you execute that properly? Yeah. You know, for profit. And, and it's from it's, architecture to profit texture. I don't know who has that name. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what, what it does is it, to, to go back one more time. It, Alex was talking about, uh, he was trying to explain to Bill is his name is, is our foreman who does the videography for us. He was telling Bill, you know, Bill was mystified by the construction process. Like it just looks so daunting to people who have never really done it. Um, or if you just dabbled in it, especially from ground up, literally from excavating. I mean, even, even for me, in some of the first projects, it was like, Oh, I don't understand exactly how this is going to work. I'm going to rely on the subs or whatever, but it demystifies it all mm -hmm. and really, really opens it up and shows everybody that you can do this too. Like you're already swimming in the code book all day long. You're already drawing and detailing everything all day long. The hardest part is honestly just you going from white collar dealing with blue collar folks all day long because there is a different psychology there. Um, and, and so, you know, to, if I had to sum it up, that's really the hardest thing. But if you already are going out and getting clients, you already are maintaining clients, you clearly hopefully have friends, you know how to manage and, and work with people and, and be happy. Yep. And the other thing too is if someone just threw you into, hey, make an architecture set, and you didn't work at a firm or anything like that, it would be hard to piece together what you need, when you need to do it, you know, what, what's that? So the course also helps, okay, what needs to be done in construction? Who needs to do it? And when do they need to do it? That's the other large part that is kind of new to architecture. You, you, you kind of you know it, um, but again, like if you weren't there for when they were hooking up the, the pipes and putting all that together, you might not know who, who even does that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it helps, helps with that too. That's great. That's great. Um, so you've mentioned, you've mentioned, uh, Nick Renard of Dig Architecture a, a couple of times in previous interviews, you mentioned, um, Jonathan Siegel as, as an, if not a mentor an inspiration, certainly who else, um, who else have you drawn inspiration from or mentorship from in you know, this, what, 11 plus years you've been <laughs> working as F9? Uh, Jerry Bolden, yeah. a local architect here, um, kind of took us under his wing when we were here. So he's been absolutely amazing, amazing human being. Uh, he's absolutely great. Um, David Mitchell. David Mitchell is our structural engineer. Uh, I actually was his... Um, 
minister is that what it is uh yeah what do you when you get married the person yeah like i attend official yeah the wedding wedding officiant yeah so we're very good friends with him uh he's an older gentleman um probably could be retired technically by age but we did so much structural drafting under his direction um early on in 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 f9's existence it gave us such a different perspective and level of confidence, I think, than maybe other a lot of architects and maybe even builders uh, that we, we can walk in successfully and really understand, you know, basic structures and how they're loaded down to even some pretty complex ones where we can start doing some pretty cool structural acrobatics like we did in the first tiny house and the second tiny houses. And even in the develop, even in the office we're sitting in now, I know there's some special cantilevers and stuff that took some acrobatical thinking to make happen. Um, I, I don't, I don't think we'd be the same firm if it wasn't for somebody like David Mitchell, especially David Mitchell specifically mm-hmm. willing to work with us in that manner of we're going to do all the structural drafting, all the structural um, modeling. And he's going to be the mentor that really overlays all of that oversight on top of us, teaches us basic, um, he even helped out when I went, went to go take the ARE tests way back when about, you know, basic calculations and stuff like that. And that has filtered all the way down to people who just start at F9. They are going to be structural, doing structural drafting under the direction of us and David um, within the first six months. And it just kind of puts them at this whole other level way early in their career, I think, to be able to start thinking about that and confidently modeling stuff. I don't know if, it, I don't know if you had this experience too, Jake, but I certainly did. I know Alex did, especially when you're in college of like, what, what is, what is the thickness of a floor? Like what should a thickness of, how should I represent this at a conceptual level? And I remember us. Um, and then, so, so one more thing I would say is that was mentorship wise is the professors at in North Dakota state. Um, we just can't say enough about our alma mater and our university up there. They do such a good job of blending the science and the art that when we, Alex and I went into, you know, he went and interviewed all over New York. I went and interviewed all over Colorado. Very, very, uh, prestigious firms. And one thing that we heard over and over again was when they looked at our building sections, rather our section perspectives, they were like, Oh my God, you have the correct floor thickness in or at least it looks like it. Yeah. 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 And so that kind of stuff, um, I don't, if, if we didn't have those kind of people, those mentors above us, I don't think we would be where we're at. Yeah. And when we are putting together the course, there's some interviews with builders. Um, and I talked to other builders and a theme that I learned was a lot of them got into it because of the family business. You know, the dad was in it, their uncle was in it, and they could rely on them. And I go, oh, I mean, it makes so much sense. And they were their mentors. And the course, even though it costs some money, honestly, the return, I don't know how to convey this, but the return would be way more than worth it by an order of, of magnitude. That's another reason why we're putting it out there is because we had these mentors help us Mm -hmm. and you can't always find them. They aren't always your dad or your uncle or something like that. So how can this be put out there? If you're, I don't know, in the middle of Iowa, I don't know why I'm picking on Iowa. It doesn't matter. It could be any place and you don't have that relationship, but you want to get this knowledge that that's another motive for us putting this out there. And that's where I think the, the online education space, it's just, it's just in its infancy, really. Um, 
who knows what you know university training is going to look like in when my when my kids when our kiddos are, are yeah. mm -hmm. age minor three and five. Um, my five year old says he wants to be an architect, but he also says he wants to be a garbage man and <laughs> 12, twelve other things. It depends on the hour. So, well, your, your kids are more uh, advanced. Than my my kid is he still wants to be a train. Just a train. Oh, all right. So Th Thomas the train. He's gonna put his face in the end. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yep. So I have a future train in my family. Yeah. I do want to thank you guys for for taking the time here and architecture builder course that's available through teachable.com the website is architectsguide2.com you can also visit f9 productions if you'd like to learn more about what alex and lance have been up to or getting into um again guys thank you so much for, for spending time with me and the audience here thanks a lot jake this right, was great yeah really, really appreciate it absolute pleasure buddy appreciate it all right take care all right. Well, thanks for for joining me this week, and along the lines of you know, putting out, recording, promoting your your next online course or your services as an architect, landscape architect, or business owner in general, we are marketers first. We often have to be, or we always actually have to be marketers first. If we can't sell what we do, if we can't sell to who we serve, and we can't tell them how we serve them, we're not going to do business. For very long, so I do want to to uh, to introduce to you, and I've been saying it on on the last couple podcasts that I am running a boot camp all around your marketing message. The Position to Profit Boot Camp uh, is Tuesday and Wednesday, February twenty third and twenty fourth, beginning at noon Eastern. It's absolutely free. Love to have you uh, love to have you join me there, where we're going to talk about messaging at the identity level. Messaging to the identity of, of your potential ideal clients, not just your expertise, not just your experience, and not just your portfolio. How to, how to craft the right messages, and that could be on your website, that could be in your Instagram captions, that could be in your face-to-face, -face, albeit probably behind a mask, uh, interactions with, with potential clients explaining who you are, who you are here to serve as a, as a firm owner, as a design professional. And then, you know, day two, we'll get into the actual language to, to help you not just pitch your services, not just try to convince your clients that you're the best one in town, rather have that content do the selling for you. So if you visit profitexturebydesign.com slash bootcamp, you can get signed up for that. And I'll leave you with the quote of the week here, which I think is pretty appropriate for, for this week's show. From Milton Berle, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Depending on whether you want to go into online courses or you want to venture into development or you want to get your general contractor's license, there are a hundred ways to, to slice this watermelon that is <laughs> business ownership that is life, right? So I encourage you to, to explore and, and be open to options there. If you haven't already, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to hear from you. And any other notes or any other guests you'd love to see on the show, shoot me a DM at Jake Krakowski, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And until next week, go out there and make it a great week because our success is inevitable. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you stay up to date with future episodes. 
connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Jake Krakowski. And for show notes and much more, visit profitexturebydesign.com slash podcast.